Welcome to Proclaiming Justice, a podcast from PJTN that focuses the light of truth on vital issues in today's headlines that impact every American. I'm your host, Laurie Cardoza-Moore, founder and president of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, and I'm here to educate, motivate, and activate you to action. I want to arm you with the truth and the facts you'll need to fight and preserve our constitutional republic and uphold the Judeo-Christian values our nation was founded upon. Welcome to Proclaiming Justice, a PJTN podcast where we sign the light of biblical truth on vital issues from today's headlines that impact every American, Jews and Christians, people of faith and people of conscience. I'm your host, Laurie Cardoza-Moore. If you missed the last episode of this podcast, you will find it and our previous podcast lineup on our website at pjtn.org, as well as all the other platforms you use to access your favorite podcasts. On this week's podcast, I have invited Rabbi Ken Spiro to the podcast to discuss the current events in Israel and the biblical and historical significance of what is unfolding. I also want to remind you that it's important for you to listen and share this and all of our previous podcasts with your family and friends so that they can become more informed about this and other related issues that threaten our republic and the state of Israel. So please remember to like and share. Rabbi, welcome to PJTN's Proclaiming Just podcast. Thank you, Laurie. Always a pleasure to be hanging out with you, even if it's virtually from thousands of miles away. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, before we even get started, Ken, how are you doing? How's your family doing? Are, how are you holding up? Yeah. So, you know, it's already now more than a month that initially after this all happened, everyone was in a deep state of shock. The whole country was very traumatized. Uh, I had a son and a son-in-law who actually was in Canada at the time. Uh, called up and my son-in-law got on his flight, last flight out of Air Canada on Saturday night after this happened, October 7th, and flew back. And he's a uh, major in the reserves in the IDF. And my and my son is a combat medic in the Golani Brigade. So they're both in. They've both been for over a month. So that's a little bit uh, scary. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of used to – the missiles we're used to. What happened before on, on the 7th, we're not so used to. So um, – right. But we're very resilient. So things have sort of gotten back somewhat to normal, obviously, because this is a, the front lines in Israel only a few miles away. And this is a right. war. It's not like Vietnam. This is a war for our existential, you know, our survival. And everyone knows people who are involved in the army. The, 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 the tiny country, the call up is, is huge. Largest right. mobilization since Yom Kippur War. So it's very much in, you know, in the, uh, in, on everyone's mind, at the top of their minds, and, you know, dreading every day seeing how many soldiers, God forbid, were killed and getting the hostages right. back is, of course, a very, a very big issue. And wanting to get through with this because the whole country, you know, a good part of the labor force of the country is now serving in the military with 300,000 plus reservists called up. Right. Yeah. I heard that there were, um, many who flew in to Israel from the United States and other Western countries where um, these reservists, army reservists were called back. And it's just an amazing thing to see how the, um, the, the country is coalescing together to fight to take on this enemy, despite what was happening before going into this war. I mean, there was um, there were there was opposition in the communities. There was um 
fighting and arguing over and debating the whole issue of judicial reform. And there were protests in the streets. And then, boom, this one event, it seems to have galvanized the the nation. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I mean, you pointed out something very interesting. First of all, I've noticed because I'm a rabbi and historian, I noticed a pattern that external threats to Israel are almost always uh, coming in the wake of internal divisiveness within the country. The first and second intifadas in 87 and 2000, you know, Jews fighting amongst ourselves and the Israelis mm -hmm. fighting amongst ourselves. It's almost as if God is saying, my children, you, you want to fight? I'll send I'll send uh, your enemies to to attack you. Mm -hmm. And that kind of is like a bucket of ice water in everyone's face to wake them up and recognize that we might choose to fight and argue amongst ourselves. But the people who hate us and want us dead don't distinguish between our religious affiliation or political ideology. So you're right, before this happened, and I've lived in Israel for over 41 years, the, the most divisive things I've seen happening in the country since I've been here, what was going on prior mm. to October 7th with judicial reform and the political left in Israel largely freaking out about their loss of power, which mm -hmm. might be permanent given the demographic realities of Israel and people even refusing to serve or come back into their reserve duty. And then when this hit and it was such, you know, this was because we were so out of line, so to speak, in terms of infighting, mm -hmm. we got such a big smack and everyone mm -hmm. just lined up immediately. And as you cor correctly, you stated over 200,000 people came back from abroad as a lot of Israelis living abroad or visiting abroad to join their units. They had an over, over response, like 140%. There's actually people who couldn't wow. get into units because they were, they had too many people in them. Mm. So it's, so what you're seeing the silver lining in the cloud of everything that was going on before and the horrible things that happened on October 7th and the horrible war we're involved in now is the mm. incredible sense of unity, especially between the, the very secular Israelis and the very ultra-Orthodox mm -hmm. Israelis in a way that we've, I've never seen before. And this was one of the biggest issues dividing the country. Mm. So uh, that's, a, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. And it's encouraging to hear, um, you know, so Rabbi, you know, being a rabbi, being a spiritual leader, being a historic historian, as you said, um, tell us, you know, from your perspective, what's going on? I mean, you know, we're looking at these events and we're saying, okay, tell me what prophet foretold that this was going to happen. Is this prophetic, what we're witnessing happen? And if it is, what prophet do we look to, or prophets, I should say, do we look to? Right, exactly. So I always tell people when I'm, I'm speaking a lot on this, it's a huge demand for people to understand what's going on on many levels. I always tell people, don't get distracted by the Arab-Israeli conflict. That's really mostly a smokescreen. Don't get distracted even by the Islamic attitude towards the non-Islamic world, which is an important topic to understand, you know, about the idea of subjugated peoples and the idea of jihad. Mm -hmm. And I said, you got to really focus because we Jews brought into the world the idea as a God who acts in history. Mm -hmm. And history is a control process leading to a destination, and the Jewish people um, play a very central role in that story. So, like I say, you have to really focus on what is the essential conflict going on in the world today, just like a doctor who wants to treat a patient who is ill, who may have an, a deep internal disease within something in their system, in one of their organs, but it manifests itself through sores on the skin. Okay, put some cream on the sores on the skin, but do not get distracted. If you want to get the patient better, you got to deal with the disease. So too, if you want to understand what is really going on on the deepest levels, you have to go back into the sources. 
for mm-hmm. absolutely the prophets, 100%. And also there's some great sources within Jewish thought from some of the great mystical thinkers that are drawing on a lot of the traditions of Judaism. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the place to look is you know Ezekiel and Zechariah or Zechariah. Mm-hmm. Um, because they bring down this idea of the war of Gog and Megog, mm-hmm. which is a final sort of uh, end of day struggle where the nations of the world line up to try and keep Israel from fulfilling its historic destiny, which is to become this nation that's a light to nations and bring the whole world mm-hmm. back to God. And obviously, you know, it's Laura, I've noticed I wrote the last book I wrote, which is called uh, Destiny, Why a Tiny Nation Plays Such a Huge Role in History. I noticed that all the story beats of these great Hollywood epic movies like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and The Matrix and Star Wars, they all have the same, they all have like the same plot to them. And and, and it's about, a, a, you know, that the world descends into darkness as a, as a, as a very nefarious dark force in the, in the universe or the galaxy or the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a little superhero who doesn't even know he's a superhero a lot of the time, but he has a lot more strength and power and plays a much bigger role than he even understands he plays. And because of that, even if he doesn't want the job, he cannot escape it. Mm-hmm. And he's forced into a series of conflicts, you know, confrontations with the big bad guy, whether it's Saruman or Darth Vader or which he right. should have lost, which he should have lost many, many times, but he always managed sometimes barely survives how he has a lot of strengths that come out. And then in the end, there's a final showdown between good and evil and evil hmm. is destroyed and the balance is and the light shines through and, and good returns to the world. That's so ingrained in like the Hollywood epic plot, because it's exactly the way the real story, his story, as I say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As history is, is really about that. We are in a process, a historical process that is clearly reaching its climax with mm-hmm. not only the chronology that Judaism believes in about there's a 6,000 year period of history from the end of day six of creation until we until we get to the period of the messianic era and beyond, we're not only very close to that, we're at you know mm-hmm. 5,784, which is 216 years left maximum. The maximum mm-hmm. doesn't be much earlier than that. But all of the, anyone who looks at all the books of the prophets, and if you look at the Jewish description of messianic redemption and what has to fall into place, um, it's very clear that you know the, the spiritual return of the Jewish people to Judaism, which is what we see going on in a very significant way, something that didn't even right. exist 50 plus years ago when Jews were largely leaving Judaism behind and assimilating mm-hmm. in much of the world. The physical return of Jews to the land of Israel, that is a process that's taken place in the last 140 years with the birth mm-hmm. of Zionism and the rebirth of a Jewish state. You know, the fact that half of 1% of the Jews in the world lived in what is called the land of Israel today in 1900 and today at least half the jews in the world live in israel mm. the population of israel has gone up like 1100 percent, which is more than wow. three times what the world's population has done in the last 75 years is mm-hmm. crazy that jerusalem is not only united under israeli sovereignty but is under jewish sovereignty for the first time in 2000 years mm-hmm. but that the nations of the world allah the predicts the prophecies we see in, in zechariah and ezekiel of the world lining up to try and stop us is clearly a indication that there's a, there's a direct convergence between the headlines we see in the news today and the recent events of a hundred years. And then a hundred years of Jewish history is a wink of an eye. We're a people mm-hmm. that have been around for going on almost 4,000 years mm-hmm. um, that we're only a few headlines away from the convergence of like this biblical end of days scenario. And, and, uh, 
and what we read in the newspaper, what's unfolding literally. And the problem, Laurie, is we're in the middle, mm. when you're in the middle of huge events, this is a real inflection point in Jewish history and human history. You don't often realize what's happening to you because you're in the middle of it. You have to need some perspective and it's hard to get the perspective where it's going. But because I wear my two hats, my rabbi, my spiritual man of faith hat, and I wear my history, you know, historian hat, I see the <laughs> convergence very clearly. But what's also really interesting, Laurie, which some of your reader listeners might not be familiar with, is Judaism has a very deep mystical tradition that is based on, we say, information that goes back to God and Mount Sinai and is mm-hmm. often hidden in the deeper text, the mystical Kabbalistic text of Judaism. There's a great uh, 16th century rabbi named Chaim Vital who lived in Sfat in Israel, which was the mystical center of the world in the 16th century following the expulsion from Spain. And he wrote a book uh, called the Etzadas, which means the tree of which, which means the tree of knowledge, which is taken from the story of Adam of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And he was a student of a, of a of a fantastically powerful mystical thinker rather by the name of Rabbi Isaac Luria, who lived in Svat and died at age thirty eight, but had a huge profound impact on Jewish mystical thought and traditions. And he brought down a very interesting idea that he in his book he says at the end of days israel is destined to experience the ishmaelite exile this fifth Mm. and last this fifth and last exile will be the most difficult of all it is the exile of ishmael and laurie what he's quoting is what's the fifth and last what's the four that come before he's quoting from the book of daniel of the beast with the four heads Mm. and they're symbolic not necessarily of an actual exile from israel but the four great ancient oppressors of the Jewish people, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And we, and this he's adding in a thought which does not appear explicitly in the words of the prophets, but is very clear in Jewish tradition that as we approach the end of days, there'll be one final attempt, like you see in Gog and Magog, of mm-hmm. the nations of the world to line up and stop us, but it's going to be led primarily by the Ishmaelites. And we know Ishmael is the half-brother of Isaac, you know, mm-hmm. Abraham's second wife, Hagar, Hagar, as she's called, mm-hmm. has a child named Ishmael, and he is uh, the, the, the progenitor of the Arabs and the spiritual progenitor of Islam. Mm-hmm. So this is our brother from another mother who's coming after us at the end of days. Mm-hmm. So this, this is between Isaac and Ishmael. This is a battle that the prophets foretold and even the Bible speaks about. And Christians are, you know, because we also look at Esau and Jacob and, you know, we wonder how does that play into? So this is, you're saying this is the the end time battle between Ishmael and Isaac. Well, it's, it's, they're leading, it's like the tip of the spear. Because there is, it's we understand it uh, as if you and if you go into the book of Genesis and you have to learn to look, the rabbis say that there's the seventy faces to the Torah, the Bible. It's like the Bible is like an onion; you can peel off layers, and there's the superficial, basic plot line, and then there's the deeper layers of understanding that often leave the plot behind and go to sort of metaphysical, mystical understandings of deeper forces that are running behind the scenes, like the laws of quantum phys- quantum mechanics and physics that are running behind how we act in the world today. That there are always forces that are at play, even though we don't—they're not visible to us. And this is what's clearly happening because there's a second rivalry 
which is in many ways a closer rivalry it's, that's a generation later between Jacob and his full brother Esau, mm-hmm. who is the, also the firstborn. In both cases, these Ishmael, Is, Ishmael is the firstborn. He's a half brother, but he's the firstborn son. He should have been the uh, the person who carried on the spiritual mission of Abraham and created the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. But he's bypassed because Judaism understands he does not have the spiritual greatness of Sarah, because what mm-hmm. makes you Jewish, by the way, is the mother, which is very unusual. You don't find that in societies. Mm-hmm. Your tribe comes from dad. That's like which baseball or football team you support. That's what dad's into. But the essence of who you are, it's not just Jews, it's all human beings comes from the mother. Think about it. The father doesn't, not to get too graphic and specific biologically and reproductively, but the man doesn't spend too much time making a baby. The woman mm-hmm. spends nine months. Yes, <laughs> that's true. The internalness. So to make to make the greatness of the people who become the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the descendants, to have that dedication to God and that drive to transform the world takes that internal drive that Sarah brings to the mm-hmm. to the spiritual genetic makeup of the Jewish people that Yishmael doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he is kind of shunted aside. God, God, when Isaac is born, you read in the book of, of Genesis, God says, you know, through Isaac, your name will be called. He's mm-hmm. the one who's going to get, I call it monotheism.org.com mm-hmm. and .edu. He's got the family business. Mm-hmm. The same thing yeah. happens, Laura. We fast forward with Esau. Esau. There's that famous story that uh, he, he basically trades in the birthright for some lentil, lentil stew. Mm-hmm. And if you read the original Hebrew, the language is very truncated. He's like, and he, and he ate and he got up and he left and he despised the birthright. He doesn't want that responsibility. Esau, is he's an instant gratification guy. He wants mm-hmm. stuff into the physical world. By the way, Judaism holds – Arabs hold as a separate tradition that they're descended from Ishmael. And we mm-hmm. know that Islam, no debating that, comes from the Arab Islamic world. The Arab world, even though most Muslims today are not Arabs, but it begins mm-hmm. – in the Arabian Peninsula 1,300 years ago, there's a Jewish tradition that says that Esau, Esau, uh, who's our full brother, he is the his his descendants is Edom, and Edom and from Edom comes Rome, and from Rome becomes what the Western Catholic. civilization yes. and the Roman Catholic Church. So <laughs> that that's a rivalry too, and that's a different kind of rivalry. It's not so much based on spirituality, but it's based on, and you could read, if we just read that in the weekly readings, because we Jews read through the entire mm-hmm. Bible to Moses every year. We just read this literally mm-hmm. on, on Saturday, uh, that he's upset because he thinks he's, when, I, when, when, when Jacob steals the blessing, he thinks he's lost out on stuff. And mm-hmm. that really bothers him. But they're both angry at us, mm-hmm. but they both fight with each other. And the Jewish understanding is, if I can, I have a, it's a couple of very interesting sources that you can, you know, the 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 Zohar, Laurie, is a really interesting book. It's mm-hmm. it's a book written. Jewish tradition says it was written by a man by the name of Rabbi Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, about mm-hmm. 1900 years ago, hiding in a cave with his son from the Romans for 12 years because they were out mm-hmm. to kill him, bad mouthing the Romans. It is an incredibly deep commentary on the the five books of Moses based on the deepest mystical Jewish traditions. It's actually in Aramaic. It's extremely hard to understand. It's like advanced astrophysics. Mm-hmm. But wow. in his commentary on, on in the book of Genesis, he says, and the sons of Ishmael will fight many battles in the world. And the sons of Edom, which is Esau, will gather against them and make war against them. Some on land, others on sea, some close to Jerusalem. One shall prevail over the other, but the Holy One will not deliver the land of Israel to the sons of Edom. We see mm. that the Arabs, by the way, 
will dominate. Islam will dominate the land of Israel from the 7th century to the early 20th century, 1,300 years, which Jewish sources say 1,300 years is reward for for um, Ishmael, Ishmael being circumcised at the age of 13. For every year hmm. he was circumcised. Jews are normally circumcised at eight days old. He has to get a reward for that. Right. So he gets the land of Israel. So these guys are fighting each other, but they also will put their differences aside to fight us. Hmm. So I find it interesting that you bring this up because I'm shocked, you know, PJTN's mission is to educate Christians about our biblical duty to stand with Israel and the Jewish people, according to the Bible, against this rise of global anti-Semitism that we're going to be judged. You know, the nations are going to be judged on how they treated Israel. And I am seeing Christians, young Christians, middle-aged Christians, older Christians who are buying into this false narrative about what's happening in Israel that Israel should show restraint, that we should call for a ceasefire. No, you know what? I believe just clean out the problem. It almost feels like, you know, since the Agagite king that King Saul didn't kill, it almost feels like every generation is faced with taking out the um, uh, the Haman, the Agagite, that was not eliminated. And what did God tell um, uh, King Saul, eliminate all of them, men, women, children, even their livestock were to be eliminated. And I mean, that concept is hard to understand in our Western mindset. But here we have Christians who are buying into this notion. I've gotten so many nasty emails from people because I sent out a prayer request and the prayer was focused on Israel, on the hostages and I got reamed for not praying for the Palestinians. And my only response to them is 76% of the Palestinians voted for this. This is what they want. So, I mean, do you want me to pray for what they're asking for? Because that's exactly what's happening. But it's it's a shock to me. And so Adam, the cat is, of course, you as you mentioned, um, ended up in Rome and the Roman, you know, his Roman history and um, Christianity, Catholicism came out of this region. And we have Christians who are not standing with Israel. They're blaming the Jews once again. And I always, you know, when we, we produced the documentary, The Forgotten People, Christianity and the Holocaust, I asked the question, if the Holocaust could happen in an educated nation, Germany was an educated nation. I mean, people sent their kids to the universities there um, from all over the, the world to study. It was an educated nation. It was the nation that gave birth to the, the reform movement of Protestant Christianity. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, it was a Judeo-Christian nation. Could the Holocaust happen again? Well, we're seeing it. This is how it happened. Because people, especially people of faith, you know, they say they're of faith, do not understand their Bible. They read through Greco-Roman lenses instead of the Hebraic understanding, and they're supporting an enemy that is fighting against God and his promise, his covenant. I mean, it's all over the land issue, the land battle, because God gave the land to a specific people group 
and it happens to be Israel, all 12 tribes. And when they cross the Jordan to go in and take the territories, Joshua led them in and they were all to go in and help their brethren fight to take the, the territory that was being given to them. But I don't understand how Christians can't see this in their Bible. It, it boggles the mind. It's interesting you mentioned that. You know, the first book I wrote called World Perfect deals with the impact of monotheism and morality. And I bring down the point that, you know, paying lip service to God doesn't mean you're taking him seriously. The, the you know, the reason, the biggest problem, in my opinion, with the Islamic worldview of the Jewish people more than anything else is the fact that they don't have our Bible. They have a Quran, which is not our Bible. It makes references to Jews. There is actually a quote in the Quran, which no Muslim radical ever quotes. It's chapter 5, verse 21, giving the land of Israel to the Jewish people, even though there's no mention in the Quran of giving the land of Israel or Jerusalem to Muslims. That's a separate discussion. Um, but even the early church, the number one book on the Catholic list indexed of banned books, I'm talking about a thousand years ago plus, was the Bible. I know that sounds so weird, but anyone reading the Bible and not that anyone could read. The mm -hmm. Bible was in Latin. No one knew Latin. And everyone was illiterate in medieval Europe except for a few people. Right. Anyone reading the Bible and seeing what it said about morality and it would be so disgusted by the disconnect between how the church was functioning versus what God was demanding, which explains why when you finally get an evangelical community, which gives the, you know, the scriptures so much more credibility and there's so much more interest in directly going to the sources and reading them yourselves, even if all beat you're reading them in translation, there's mm -hmm. nothing beats reading the Bible in the original Hebrew mm -hmm. and things are unfortunately sometimes edited out or selectively left out of text. I've noticed you can't, but, uh, pay heed to what God is saying about the Jewish people, their unique role in history, the, the land. Mm -hmm. The most oft-repeated idea in the Bible is God giving us a land, not as a payoff, a piece of real estate, like here's a nice vacation spot, but we are a very unique appliance. We have a very unique mission. And the only place mm -hmm. we can plug into to function at peak efficiency and achieve our role in the world, which is to be a role model, not to conquer mm -hmm. the world, not to convert the world, is the land of Israel. It's essential to the entire historical mission, which is why there's right. so much opposition position to it. Now, and historically, we also understand that, you know, on a more superficial level with the birth of Christianity and then Islam, both these religions viewed, and I'm not speaking about Christians today and some of your listeners, I'm just mm -hmm. given the historical perspective right. that the other faiths, that Judaism got it wrong. You know, Christianity said God, you know, God rejected the Jews because the Jews rejected God and killed his son and destroyed the temple and banished right. them and wandering the earth to be the witness people. So when Jesus comes at the end of days, they'll bear witness to the fact that he is the Messiah. And then mm -hmm. Islam came along and said, you know, that the, the Jews got it wrong and God rejected them and the Christians got it wrong. So mm -hmm. God rejected them. Muhammad's the last prophet and he got it right. So both these very powerful Jews are a teeny percentage of the world's population for most of our history living in exile but these giant you know religions that that now govern mm -hmm. over literally a billion plus people and christianity even more than islam have been fighting political physical struggles with each other but they're largely based on theological differences about how they perceive the end game is going to play out but the the jewish people were the we are the mother of these two offshoot faiths our continued existence and anything we're doing to get closer to what we view, and we have the original narrative, is the end story, is mm -hmm. going to be very threatening because it basically threatens to, you know, you're not sorry. We had the original story, and that's the, it's the correct plot. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I right. always say this, I speak to Christian audiences. I don't get to speak to Muslim audiences very much, but I do have Muslims in my audience. I said all three of these religions believe they're they're very exclusive in their worldviews. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a Jew believes in the world a certain way, a Muslim believes in the world a certain way, and a Christian believes in right. a certain way. And it's it's fine to believe that as long as you don't force or kill other people for not believing your way. Exactly. But when the smoke clears, we're going to see who's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, bottom line. Yeah. No, I, you know, after years of studying the Bible, I remember um, King Josiah, I think it was Josiah who found the Torah scrolls and had them read the scrolls and everything that they were reading in the scrolls. He knew that that Israel had not done and he rent his garments. And I remember studying the Bible for the first time and my eyes being opened and everything that I had taught, even, you know, being raised Catholic, as you mentioned, we were told that we couldn't read the Bible. Uh, as God is my witness, growing up, yes, we were told you cannot read the Bible because you're not educated enough to interpret it. So we would have to go to the priest to go, go to church every Sunday to hear what the priest had to say. And that was, thus saith the Lord. So, you know, as my eyes were opened, I realized, oh my gosh, we have missed so much. And so, Rabbi, as we close our, our program you know, I just, I always find our interviews fascinating and just amazing, full of information, full of history, full of biblical understanding and interpretation. How can our audience learn more about you, follow you, um, get your books? And ladies and gentlemen, I just wanted to, to tell you, as we introduced Rabbi, not only is he a spiritual thought leader, he is also a historian and he knows American history and how that connects with Israel and the Jewish people like nobody else does. And so I want to encourage you, Rabbi, please let our audience know how they can find you, how they can um, purchase your books. Um, you've authored many of them. And how can we how can we learn more about what you're doing? Okay, thank you. So, I mean, I have a website. It's very easy to find. It's Ken Spiro, K-E-N-S-P-I-R-O dot com and on my website actually I have a lot of content for free you can listen read and watch there's a little online store that takes you to Amazon or the publishers to buy books I highly recommend specifically for your audience the world perfect book I think it's so essential now that the people recognize that the the real big battle that's going on in the world today is the battle for who wants to live in truth and reality and the mm-hmm. ultimate truth is God and to the extent you're connected to God the problem with a lot of the young people on campus is they might be like Christian in name and even Jewish in name but they're very disconnected from the sources and the texts and the and right. you know America is the greatest country in the world precisely because it's the most Bible-based country in the world that even has in God we trust on the money. So, you know, even Franklin Delano Roosevelt said in this fireside chat, where we've been most successful as a nation Mm -hmm. is because we paid the closest attention to the principles that come from the Bible. So it's very important that we understand that topic. I do also, by the way, Laurie, I do, I've started doing three years ago, a weekly podcast. It's called Remember What's Next. And Mm. the link is also on, it's on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Anchor Podcasts. Uh, it's also the link is right on my website again. And I just going through uh, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the Jewish world and how it relates to you know the biblical perspective and where we're going and to try. And again, that's what I really try and do is not look at history as disconnected from his story and recognize that to the extent a person can see God's hand 
and the big picture and not get distracted by the right. smaller events, which might be major events like wars, but really focus on what the end game and the plot is about is the extent that we, first of all, we get a lot of, it's a very calming thing to be able to see. Otherwise the mm -hmm. world looks like it's growing really in a bad way. And it also gives us a lot of clarity and what we're supposed to do as, as a nation and what we're supposed to do as individuals to, you know, right. get to the end of this story as, as quickly and as painlessly as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Rabbi, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I want to encourage you go to his website, kenspiro.com. And again, order his books, sign up to get on the podcast. I am definitely going to sign up to get on the pad, the podcast, but I hope you all found this program informative and enlightening. This is a conversation that must happen. We will post this podcast on our website and all of our podcast platforms so that you can share with your family and friends. As PJTM Watchmen, we have a biblical mandate to stand against the ungodly rising Marxist threat that is destroying this nation and other Western nations, threatening our Judeo-Christian values and promoting anti-Semitism. We cannot remain silent. God warned the prophet Ezekiel about the responsibility of the watchman. As a watchman, you can sound the alarm and warn others by simply sharing this podcast with your family and friends. So please share and like this podcast to help sound the alarm in your community. Remember, Dietrich Bonhoeffer reminded us that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Don't forget to join us for our next week's podcast as we continue this conversation about combating the rise of anti-Semitism and taking back local control of our communities and our children's education. I want to also remind you that if you have, have not signed up to become a PJTM Watchman, you can help support this mission through our award-winning documentaries and Focus on Israel programs, as well as more programs like this for just $20 a month. So go to our website at pjtn.org to watch our programs and listen to our past podcasts. With your generous monthly donation, you can ensure that PJTN remains on the front lines and in the headlines, but we can't do it without your faithful prayers and financial support. I hope that you will prayerfully consider supporting our mission as we educate to activate Jews, Christians, and all people of conscience to stand on the front lines of this all-encompassing war. God bless you, and thank you for all you do on behalf of our Jewish brethren, the State of Israel, and these United States. Thank you again for joining me on this edition of Proclaiming Justice. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit our website at pjtn.org. As a PJTN Watchman, you can help us keep up the fight to preserve our freedom for our children and their children for such a time as this.